Good morning. How is everybody on this beautiful day? It's gorgeous, isn't it? Gosh. Um, the title of the t- today's talk is, What Am I Worth? And the author of the book that Larry's been working with this month, there's uh, Brene Brown, is her name, Brene Brown. And this is the book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And I really encourage you to pick this up because it's a very... Uh, simple and easy to understand guidebook for shifting and changing your perceptions about who you are and how you uh, how you operate in the world. So she has a couple of ideas about um, reframing how you think about yourself and the worth and value that you have designated or given to yourself over the years. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But before I do, I want to share with you um, a poem by Hafiz. Are any of you familiar with Hafiz? Yes? People know Hafiz? Oh, yes, yes, I'm sure you love Hafiz. <laughs> Hafiz is a, um, a Sufi mystic, was a Sufi mystic and poet, and he, um, I like uh, Hafiz in some ways better than Rumi. Rumi is the most read poet in existence ever. Um, so if you're not familiar with Rumi, I suggest that you might want to read some of Rumi. Um, but anyway, Hafiz has just a delightful sense of humor. And just thinking of his name makes me smile. And so this morning I want to just share with it. it's a little poem called Manic Screaming. We should make all spiritual talk simple today. God is trying to tell you, sell you something, but you don't want to buy. This is what your suffering is, your fantastic haggling, your manic screaming over the price. (laughs) Okay, well, if that didn't grab you, then in in your program today is a little form that has feelings on it. And your homework, um, should you choose to accept it, is to become as familiar with these feelings and see how many you can actually identify within yourself when, you're, when you might be having um, one of these feelings. Most people are familiar with a very few feelings. Most of us know fear, we know sadness, we know grief, we know happiness, uh, maybe a few others, but, um, but for instance, as an example, what is the difference between perplexed and puzzled? Uh, what is the difference between dismayed and overwhelmed? What is the difference between tranquil and serene? Now, you might say degrees. Yes, there are degrees of, of each one of these feelings. But unless and until we begin to identify and understand what feeling it is that we're having, how do we convey, convey that to the people around us? Are we really communicating who and what we are when someone says, how do you feel? And everybody says, ah, and what does that say? What does that mean? Fine. What does that tell you? Does that tell you that the person is happy or sad or perplexed or dazzled or what? Doesn't say anything, does it? 
So I'm encouraging you, if you want to have improve your relationships with other people and have them understand you a little bit, is to get in touch with these feelings and learn how to embrace them and then convey them to someone else when they ask you, how are you? Now, certainly... Um, people don't necessarily want a whole litany of what's going on with you, but it's very easy to just say, you know, I feel dazzled today by life, or I feel uncomplicated, or I feel whatever it might be for you. Um, so that's just kind of a little aside. So I just encourage you to, to play with these feelings for a while and see what happens. So the talk, what am I worth? We're already worthy. We're worthy simply because we're breathing. And in the prayer today, Nancy said over and over again, we are the manifestations of God. We are the expressions of the divine. And so by saying to ourselves that we're unworthy, we're basically saying God is not worthy. Because if we truly believe what we teach in, in Science of Mind, that we are the manifestation of God, how are we showing up? If we really believe what we teach, how are we doing with that? How are we expressing the divine that we are? So I think kind of like that, that um, bumper sticker, there was a bumper sticker years ago that said, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> because I think that is where we get tripped up. It's not so much that we think, or even that we think thoughts that maybe aren't true. Where we get tripped up is that we believe it. Don't you think? It's the belief. That, yes. It's the belief that I'm hungry. <laughs> so, so it's the belief that, that gets us in trouble every time. Not necessarily the negative thinking, it's what we do with the negative thinking and how we determine the negative de de thinking defines us. So we latch on to things or experiences in our life and then we take them to be true when they're really not. In Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes, our founder, really encouraged and, and urged the followers of this teaching to contemplate their thinking and actually determine what is it you believe. Not necessarily what we teach, because some of you may not believe what we teach. But have you ever questioned that? In the, in the Science of Mind magazine, every once in a while, they publish what we believe. This is what Ernest Holmes wrote down. So just as an example, he says in the very first sentence, We believe in God, the living spirit almighty, one indestructible, absolute, and self-existent cause. Do you believe that? Do you even know what it says? What does it mean? What does that mean? Self-existent cause. So he urges us to just contemplate that. Think about that for a while. What does that mean? And do I believe that? And if I believe that, how does that affect my life? How do I show up in the world because that is a belief that I hold? Years and years ago, as some of you know, I was in the clothing business for half of my life. And at one point, I was sought after by a headhunter um, to go to a store in Texas. And that's actually where I 
came across Mexico, because it's pretty close to Texas. And, uh, and that's the first encounter I ever, I'd never even heard of Mexico until then. There was a country that was down there somewhere. Um, that's an aside. When we were in school, we learned all about Canada. We had to, we had to remember the provinces and everything. We didn't, I didn't even know Mexico was there. I would have taken Spanish, but we never learned about Mexico. Isn't that odd? Anyway, so I w went to this store in, in, um, in El Paso, and they offered me all this money and went there and pursued me, because at that time, I was one of the few people in the United States that did what I did, and I did it really well, but I didn't know that until later. And uh, so anyway, I went down, we turned this store around. It was initially a store like Kmart, and we turned, around, turned it into a Neiman Marcus. And it was so much fun. And um, anyway, so I had, I was the, the person that was in charge of the women's division, and I had a counterpart who was in charge of the men's division. We basically did the same thing. Years later, after we changed and moved on to other places, I was having dinner with my former boss and his wife, and we were talking about the, the old days. And he mentioned my male counterpart, and uh, he said something about his salary. And I... And I paused. I said, what was he being paid? And he told me, well, he was being paid twice as much as I was. And I sat there, and I, I said, I, and so I knew him pretty well. I said, how could you do that? I was just irate. How could you pay him more, you know, twice as much money as I was getting because I was doing the same thing? And he said, he asked for it. And I was like, whoa. I mean, that startled me on so many levels. I mean, it took years for me to get to the place where I could actually ask in a job situation for what I felt that I was actually worth until I got into ministry, and then it was a whole different thing. Uh, <laughs> but, but at that time, you know, it never would have occurred to me to ask for that much money. It just wouldn't have occurred to me because I didn't think that I was that valuable. It was only later when I found out that I was. So what are you worth? And upon what do you place your value? What does it mean to be worthy? And what does it mean to be worthy to you? And what do you do or think you have to do in order to be worthy? We come up with all kinds of ideas. I'll be worthy when. I'll be worthy if. I'll, like Larry talked about these a few weeks ago. You know, I'll be worthy when I have the right house. I'll be worthy when I have the right mate. I'll be worthy when fill in the blank. What does that mean? So the author has some ideas on how to shift that in our own lives. And the first thing that she, one of the things she talks about is cultivating play and rest. How many of you know how to play? Some of you. Oh, that, lots of you do. Well, I grew up, I didn't know, I didn't play was a waste of time. You were supposed to be productive. You were supposed to do things. God forbid we should not do anything. We would be lazy if we didn't do anything. So playing was very, very difficult for me. It took me a long time to learn how to play. But as she talks in the book we have in our culture, she said we need to let go of exhaustion as a lifestyle and production as a way of valuing who we are. 
we don't necessarily have to produce all the time. We can take a rest from that. And it's important for us to rest. I discovered naps a few years ago. Aren't they just delicious? <laughs> naps, they're so great. Um, so I encourage you, if you haven't discovered them, to, to take naps. And if you have judgments around that, take a look at that too. Some people do. They won't allow themselves to take a nap because then they're not being productive. Oh. But sleep is not a luxury. It's a requirement. The body requires us to rest. And the spirit requires us to play and have fun. That's one of the reasons I love living in Mexico. I mean, Mexico, they really know how to play and have fun. They have so many holidays, we can't even begin to count them, <laughs> you know. And the bells go off, oh, it's another holiday. What is it? I don't know. Well, let's just go play anyway. <laughs> you know? It's so much fun. The other thing that's interesting, too, about the play and the productivity in Mexico is that our culture values time is money. You've all heard that, time is money. In Mexico, it isn't about time. They're paid when the job is done. What a concept. <laughs> the job could take three days. Here it might take an hour. But there, you know, as long as they're working on the job, doesn't matter. They're getting paid by the job. Not when it's done. So other things get in the way of that. You know, family, babies, you know, all kinds of stuff. If the sun is shining, let's go play. We'll get the job done tomorrow or the next day or manana. Isn't that a wonderful way to be? Because we're not, they're not driven by producing all the time. Okay, the next thing that she talks about in the book is cultivating laughter, song, and dance. So I would like all of you to stand up. The band is going to help us with this little experiment. And the, so are the kids upstairs. And this is a little dance called merengue. And everybody can do this because it's so easy. It's just, okay, so take your left foot and just down, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. That's it. That's it. Okay. You can go to the left. You can turn around. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Did that get your juices going? <laughs> Isn't that fun? That's a fun, easy dance. Anybody can do that dance. And what she talks about in the book is to cultivating dance, letting go of being cool, <laughs> and letting go of always being in control. Now, I did that for a long time. I didn't want anybody to see me doing these silly things because I felt they would judge me, and I would feel embarrassed. So I didn't want to make a fool out of myself because... You know, I just, I was cool. <laughs> I was cool. I'm dating somebody like that right now. Anyway. <laughs> so, in the book, um, she talks about this uh, inability to 
be out of control as betraying ourselves. And she says this. Betrayal is, is an important word with this kind of guidepost. When we value being cool and in control over granting ourselves the freedom to unleash the passionate, goofy, heartfelt, and soulful expressions of who we are, we betray ourselves. So it comes back to that question in the beginning. Do we really believe we are the expressions of God? Do we really believe that? I don't think that God would be embarrassed being goofy. Do you? I don't think so. That's true. Yes, or what are those other um, huge, great big things in the jungle that have the horn and rhinoceros? Yes, now who could love a rhinoceros? Another rhinoceros? Okay, well, the next thing she talks about is cultivating gratitude and joy and letting go of our ideas of scarcity and the fear of the dark. Letting go of those things. Because there aren't, quote, guarantees that things in life are going to turn out the way you absolutely think they're supposed to be. And isn't that a good thing? At least in my own life. I'm so grateful that some of the things that I wanted never happened. And I'm so grateful some of the other things that did happen were the best things that ever happened to me. And at the time, I didn't think they were. At the time, I thought that they were too frightening and that I'd never get through them or over them. But I did. Lynn Twist, in her book, The Soul of Money, talks about what happens with this idea of scarcity. And she's quoted in this book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And this is what Lynn Twist... Have any of you read that book? It's a really wonderful book called The Gift of Money. Anyway, Lynn Twist says this, For me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, the thought of not good enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours of the days in our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. We don't have enough exercise. We don't have enough work. We don't have enough profits. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough wilderness. We don't have enough weekends. Of course, we don't have enough money, ever. We're not thin enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not fit enough. We're not educated or successful enough or rich enough, ever. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds race with a litany of what we didn't get done or didn't get that particular day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack. What begins as a simple expression of the hurried life or even the challenged life grows into the great justification for an unfulfilled life. So in my own life, when I use the strengths of 
what comes naturally within me, usually in service to someone else, I'm not afraid. When I allow myself to just be in the world, I feel comfortable and I do feel fulfilled. I think I've shared with you, I had a conversation with a friend of mine in La Paz who said, well, you're fulfilled because you have your work. And I said, my work doesn't fulfill me. I'm full with that feeling of God. That fulfills me. I love what I do. I love my work. But that isn't what fulfills me. That presence of the infinite within me fulfills me. So joy, joy, embracing joy, cultivating joy. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness usually comes from an event or from a, something that's happened and we feel happy about it. But joy is something that lives within us. There is a, an eternal wellspring of joy that is just at the center and core of who we are. And we can allow at any time to just come forth and just be. You can be walking down the street and all of a sudden just burst into that feeling of joy for no reason whatsoever other than it's just in you and it just comes forth automatically. The Greek word charo means joy. And charo is a culmination of being and good mood of the soul. Isn't that sweet? So when you feel joy, you feel your soul is in a good mood. And I just think that's just an incredible way. So let's begin to close the gap between what we know and how we live. What we know intellectually of who we are and who we truly are internally. Because if we're living, I was saying at the last service, if we, if we began to live like there's some person with a telescope on some far, far galaxy, way beyond we can possibly imagine with this powerful telescope and it's focused all the way down to Earth, this little teeny tiny place, and it's zeroing in right on you, and it's following you around all day long to see what goes on here on Earth, what would they determine that all the people on Earth are about? What message are you sending to the galaxies and beyond of who you really are? If there is only one infinite presence, if there is only one intelligence everywhere, that being on, with that telescope on that galaxy far, far away is made up of the same stuff. And so if that telescope is zeroing in on Linda, then the responsibility for the evolution of the entire <laughs> universe is represented by her and how she is. In the, on the, in the world, how she's living her life. So how are you showing up? What kind of, of, of impression are you going to give to the rest of the universe or the universes or the galaxies? Because the same stuff that makes up the stars or that telescope is in you. The same stuff. 
So are you worthy of its recognition? Are you believing that you're worthy, that you are actually representing your life is a representation of the infinite, of God? You have to take a deep breath. You know, we say that a lot. We say that we are the manifestation of God. How do we show up with that kind of awareness? How do we do that? Every day, with every breath we take. All life is energy. That's all it is. So what is our energy infused with? The power, the love, the joy, the expression of the infinite all the time as us. We're whole. We're creative. We're unlimited in our creativity. And so are we expressing that? Are we connecting with the other people in our life? Do they know that just by looking at us? Or just by hearing your name, like I do with Hafiz. He makes me smile. Just his name makes me smile. What does your name bring to the thoughts of the people that are in your life? Do they get a warm feeling inside? Does joy just bubble up because they've heard your name? When I think of Linda, when I think of her, what comes up to mind is her beautiful sharing of the smile in her life through her music. The gift that she uplifts me with her music, her singing is such a gift. And when I think of Ken, you know, when I'm down in Mexico and I think of Ken, I think, oh my God, he just is amazing to me. I'm so in awe of his willingness to play the music he does and how he does it. So I think of Ken and I think of creativity. So what do people think when they think of your name? What comes to your mind when you think about the people who care and love you? So in closing, I would just like to read the very end of this book. Uh, and she writes about what it means to live from this place. <clears throat> and she calls it a revolution. And she says, revolution might sound a little dramatic, but in this world, choosing authenticity and worthiness is an absolute act of resistance. Choosing to live and love with our whole hearts is an act of defiance. You're going to confuse, piss off, and terrify lots of people, including yourself. One minute you'll pray that the transformation stops, and the next minute you'll pray that it never ends. You'll also wonder how you can feel so brave and so afraid at the same time. At least that's how I feel most of the time. Brave, afraid, and very, very alive. So will you join me in prayer? Hmm. So just breathing in the awareness that God truly is the only thing that exists anywhere, anytime, no matter what. I affirm that that awareness takes that awesome idea and brings it straight into my own heart where I affirm and value that identity that I so claim for myself the identity that I am truly, the expression, the manifestation and form of this infinite intelligence, this infinite love, 
this infinite creativity filled with joy and delight. This one that is so the breath that I breathe, that so fills my life to overflowing with its goodness, its sweetness, its purpose, its intention, is a privilege. And I am grateful beyond my wildest understanding of what that means. And so as I affirm and know this for myself, I absolutely know it for each divine, beautiful being in this sanctuary today. And so I am knowing, knowing for each one the willingness to embrace their own heart with that same tender loving kindness as they do for a friend or a pet. To take that love that the infinite is pouring through them right now and affirming their worthiness, affirming their love, affirming their light as never before, saying, yes, I am worthy, for I am the divine expression of God. And so in gratitude, knowing and claiming and accepting this as the truth, here, now, and always, I give thanks. I let it be. And so it is. Namaste. Namaste.